There are notes in your bulletin. We invite you to follow along as we study the Word of God together. Recently, a student of mine wrote a doctoral thesis on the subject, The Church of Satan. I've always wanted the information. I've always heard a lot about the Satanic Church, and I appreciate the information that has now become a part of my possession. Such things as symbols and rituals, such things as the amount of people involved, and to say the least, it is astonishing. I knew of this some time ago, as different people have reported, concerning weird circumstances that have been happening in the Los Angeles County area. Captain Bob Vernon of the L.A. Police Department has reported on several occasions a Christian man, one who loves Christ, but has reported some very bizarre incidents. I've always wondered if this is not relegated to a few. Is it really as widespread as some say? It appears that it is, and the basic reason why we don't really hear about it as much as it is going on is because it is very secretive. It is probably more secretive than the best secret society that man has ever devised. And that is typical of Satan's work. Until he's absolutely sure that the majority of people will be deceived, he works underground and in secret. We have been progressing in our study of the spiritual world. We've been talking about various things such as astrology, methods of fortune-telling, about the actual presence of other beings from other worlds. But we've been progressing in our understanding. We've talked a little bit about witchcraft and sorcery and communication with the dead. But we're progressing now to look at Satan's open, blunt attack upon the world of confused, searching human beings as he attempts to incorporate them into open worship of himself. The Satanic Church is much more widespread than simply the one known church, which is in San Francisco. There are groups that meet elsewhere. But as you know, a few years ago, that hit the headlines, and its announced leader, Anton LaVey, has been a popular speaker on college campuses and universities. The Satanic Bible, which they produce, has sold over 250,000 copies. I thought a little bit about reading it, but then the more I thought about it, I thought I shouldn't waste my time nor even bring such blasphemy into the pulpit of Jesus Christ. It is a blasphemous addition. It is tearing down the major doctrines of the Bible, and it's advocating worship of Satan as though he were God. I have in my files the testimony, the blow-by-blow -blow account of a young man who is currently only 22 years of, of age and is currently a believer in Jesus Christ. When he was 12 years old, he began to play with Ouija boards, astrological tables. It was a game with he and several friends of his in junior high school. He was a member of a fine church in the city of San Bernardino began playing with this, and some unusual things happened. They began to see things about their future that actually came true, and he got more involved. At the same time, he became interested in marijuana and started smoking pot for a while. Then he began to get a little bit more of the hard stuff. By age 14, he was considered a serious delinquent and was fast approaching that awful time of addiction. It wasn't too long before he had several arrests for narcotics and had been in quite a bit of trouble and sense of stealing. And while he was in jail for one particular period of time as a juvenile, he came across a young man who was 
involved in Satanism. He presented it to him in such glowing terms, he decided that he would get involved. After he was released, he went to a certain spot, a home that's in San Bernardino, now having been long ago raided, in which he participated in some innocent little games of witchcraft, which soon became worse. The young man showed great promise, he had great intellect, and before long he had risen through the various stages of Satanism, which I won't bore you with tonight, but he had risen to a very high level in the Satanist movement. He soon found that his conscience was seared. For a long time he had been involved in blood sacrifices of animals, which whether you know it or not is going on all the time in the county of Los Angeles. Some very weird and bizarre things in that regard. But he went so far as to have experience in human sacrifice to Satan. His testimony is now a matter of police record. And praise God, through the power of Jesus Christ and that alone, just recently of this year, this young man in jail was won to Jesus Christ by a faithful Christian. And so his story and his testimony has been given in order that everybody who has any inkling towards the innocent little games such as Ouija boards, crystal balls, tarot cards, and on and on, might know the road and the path to which it is leading. It starts out as games, but I want you tonight to know that there is a mastermind behind the whole thing. Satan desires to be worshipped, and he's heading towards one goal, and that is that the whole world will worship him and his chosen tool called the Antichrist. The Bible predicts that one day in the stream of human history, I don't believe very far away, the entire world will be worshipping his man, and Satan himself. And the world is fast coming to that. So let's look at the biblical evidence about Satan and the fact of whether he really exists or not. As you notice from your outline notes, we have listed several of the names of Satan in the Bible and have shown you that the Bible is very concerned that you know about Satan. As a matter of fact, Satan does not want you to know about himself. Satan would give anything if we did not communicate to you the doctrine of Satan from the Word of God. He does not want you to know the truth. He's opposed to men knowing the truth about him. He's a counterfeit and he's a deceiver. And he'd just assume that we not discuss this in church. But it is the doctrine of the Word of God, and as you see from your notes, it is taught constantly in God's Word. God intends us to know about the enemy. He instructs us to know how to resist him that we do have an enemy, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood against other human beings, but that we're fighting spiritual powers in the heavenly places, spiritual wickedness. Now, there are several things we want to learn about Satan tonight. Will you take your Bibles, please, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. Beginning on a study of Satan's personality, we want to look, first of all, at the origin of Satan. Where did he come from? Ezekiel chapter 28 and also Isaiah chapter 14 are two very important chapters in regard to the origin of Satan. I'd like to read Ezekiel 28, beginning at verse 11 and reading down to verse 19. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning at verse 11 and reading to verse 19. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, 
Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy timbrels and of thy flutes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy merchandise. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be appalled at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Now, as you see back at verse 12, it appears that he's talking to the king of Tyre. But from that, he takes off and begins talking to an anointed cherub, an angelic being. And what we have here is frequently used in the Old Testament. That is an historical setting that serves as a taking off place, a symbolic situation for something that is deeper, a deeper spiritual truth. And the king of Tyre, in all of his rebellion and his sin, becomes a representation then of the anointed cherub, Satan, called Lucifer, and many other names in the Bible, the devil himself. Now, several things I want you to know, four things about his origin. First of all, the Bible clearly says that he was created by God. Created by God. That's Ezekiel 28, verse 13 and verse 15. God created Satan. The Bible teaches that. The second thing I'd like you to notice is that he's called an angelic being, a cherub, a part of the group of angels called cherubim. That's from verse 14. Calls him the anointed cherub that covereth. It appears that he's very high in rank also. And that brings us to the third matter about his origin, and that is the Bible teaches that he was the highest in rank of any angelic being. That when God created Satan, he was the highest in rank of all the angels. Now, there's only one archangel mentioned in the Bible, the word arch meaning ruler, the ruling angel. There's only one mentioned. Some say there are more, but only one is mentioned, and that's Michael, the archangel. There's an interesting passage over in the book of Jude, which is next to the last book of the New Testament. If you'll turn there, please. The book of Jude, verse 8 and 9, shows us that even in the case of Michael, who is an archangel, he did not consider himself to be higher in rank than Satan, another of the angelic beings that God created. The book of Jude, verse 8 and 9, in speaking about ungodly men, false teachers, being much like the angels who kept not their first estate, according to verse 6, much like Sodom and Gomorrah and its inhabitants, according to verse 7, then verse 8, it says, in like manner, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, they're very corrupt, immoral, they despise dominion 
and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Very interesting in this passage that Michael did not see fit to rebuke Satan. He recognized the authority and position of Satan and committed that matter into the hands of God. Satan was higher in rank than any angelic being, an anointed cherub, one who was created by God. Now the fourth thing is back in Ezekiel 28. And that is that according to the Bible, when God created Satan, he was absolutely perfect in character and nature. He was perfect in character and nature. The Bible teaches that. Do not believe, as some say, that when God created him, he created him imperfect or there was something wrong with him. The Bible says he was perfect, created by Almighty God. In chapter 28, verse 12, it says, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub, I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. According to the Bible, when Satan was created, he was perfect in character and nature. Unbelievable in his wisdom and his knowledge. God created him like that. Now let's look secondly at the matter of Satan's fall. How did Satan fall? What does the Bible say? Now, one thing you need to get straight in your mind is just because God creates a being that is perfect, that does not mean that he's in a fixed state of perfection and cannot get out of it. God creates beings in some mysterious way, unknown to all of us who try to understand it and study the passages, but he creates beings who can be perfect in every way, but who have the capacity to go their own way. This is true about angels, and it is true also about men. The Bible teaches when God created Adam and Eve, there was nothing wrong with Adam and Eve. They were perfect, and they could have continued in that state. But God created a man with the ability to choose. He also created the angelic beings with the same ability. Now, what was Satan's problem? What do we learn about the fall? Two things I'd like to bring to your attention. First of all, the reason for that fall. Turn, please, to Isaiah chapter 12. The book of Isaiah, chapter 12. What was the reason for the fall of Satan? The simple answer to that is pride. Pride was the reason for the fall of Satan. Interestingly, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, in giving the qualifications for pastors, it says there that he not be a new convert or a newly planted one, lest he fall into the condemnation, the snare, and the trap of the devil. You see, the same problem that was in Satan is the problem that's in us, the problem of pride. And according to the Bible, this was the reason for Satan's fall. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, please. Here the fall of Satan is described. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground who didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to Sheol, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who did shake kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who opened not the house of his prisoners? In verse 19 it says, But thou art cast out of thy sepulcher like an abominable branch, like the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, like a carcass trampled under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. On and on. In this passage describing the fall of Satan, we notice five aspects of his pride. You can easily underline them in your Bible in verse 13 and 14. I will, he says five times, I will ascend into heaven, I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, the stars of God represent angelic beings. They always do in the Old Testament. It says, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God rejoiced, and it's talking about angels and their presence at the time of creation, and it calls them stars. We know also in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, that the angels are called stars that Christ was holding in his right hand, a symbol of the angels. So he wanted to exalt himself above everyone. But interestingly, the height of all of this is expressed in verse 14. I will be like the Most High. Satan's desire was to be like God. And you remember in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 that when Satan tempted Eve, he said to her, if you take of that fruit, you shall be as, and the old King James has gods, but the word gods is a plural word. It's translated God singular hundreds of times in the Old Testament. His temptation to her was, you shall be as God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Satan's temptation to Eve was the same one he faced himself, to be like the Most High, to want the power of God. Man wants to control his own destiny. He wants to run his life. He really wants to play God. And that pride was the downfall of Satan, and it's a downfall of every single person who follows that path. Now, the second thing I want you to notice, the reason of the fall is pride, but what were the results of that fall? The Bible spoke in Ezekiel chapter 28 and also repeats here in Isaiah 14 that he was cast out and iniquity was found in him, says Ezekiel 28. Sin is found in his life because of pride and he is cast out of heaven, according to the Bible. According to John 8:44, it was through Satan that sin entered the universe. And he becomes the adversary of God and his people from then till now. So the results of the fall of Satan are very tragic, even in terms of man. Satan tempted Eve, according to the Bible, and she was deceived. Adam deliberately disobeyed, and the entire human race has been affected since. Iniquity was found in the heart of Satan, and he fell because of pride. Now, the question is, when did Satan fall? There are a lot of answers to that question. Some believe that he fell out of heaven long before the worlds were ever created. Others believe that he fell somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Now, I don't read that, but they slice it in there. 
And their meaning is that the chaotic world, the world of the, quote, dinosaurs, the world of various mutations, the world that appears to be chaotic, was the world that was without form and void. And that was the result of Satan's fall to the earth. It's called a catastrophe theory of creation. So that all the supposed problems that evolution has presented to people would be solved by simply saying that Satan fell out of heaven to the earth and corrupted it. I'm not satisfied with that because in chapter 3 we have the entrance of Satan into a perfect environment that God has and then we have sin entering into the heart of the human race and then the curse comes upon the earth. Chaos still results. Besides the fact that in Genesis 1-2 where it says the earth was without form and void, when the passage where it's used in Jeremiah could mean simply empty and not fully developed yet. We read in the Bible that God took six days to create the world, and the seventh day he rested. Now, people often say, well, maybe that's not 24-hour days, and maybe we could put a big catastrophe in there and millions of years. But I see no reason for that because Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, says that everything that has ever been created by God was created in six days. And that verse follows up the six-day work week. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, for in six days the Lord God created heaven and earth and all that in them is. In other words, I don't believe in an old earth. I believe in a young earth. And I believe that all the circumstances of geology and evolution are solved by the Genesis flood and not by the chaos supposedly between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Well, the question is, when did Satan fall? When was he cast out? Some people turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and they find Michael wrestling with, angel, with the angels of Satan. Michael and his angel, there's a big battle, and Satan is cast out. Some say that this is describing an event that happened in the past. No, it's describing an event that's happening in the future. It's still to happen. A great titanic warfare will go on between all of the angelic beings. A final crushing defeat will be made to Satan and his angels at the time of the tribulation period. Well, then when did Satan fall? Now, for all that brilliant discussion, the answer is I have no idea. But I know this, that he had already fallen by the time of Genesis chapter 3. Sin was already in his heart, and he was already tempting Adam and Eve. So I assume that he fell somewhere between chapter 2 and chapter 3. But I have no idea. And some of you will say right now, and we have to listen to him? Now third, let's look at his present character. What is Satan like today? There are just three things that I'd like to share with you. It will help you to understand his nature. It's a little bit frightening when you think about it. According to John 8, verse 44, Satan is a murderer. Literally, it says a man-killer. It is impossible for Satan to want the best for anyone. It's amazing to me how many people that are engulfed into Satanism today think that Satan is their great hero is going to take care of them. An example of which, there are fantastic records and testimonies in the Satanist movement to healings that take place. And they declare to friends innocently, Satan can heal you. He can take care of you. You got something wrong with you? Come, we'll take care of it instantaneous healing supposedly is going on well the Bible says that Satan is a murderer that he has one desire and that's to kill men to destroy their lives and he is doing that 
as the sad testimony of those who have been hooked by Satan constantly attest to. Weird, bizarre murders going on all the time. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He has no desire to help anyone. He may help you temporarily to deceive you, but only to destroy your life. The second thing we learn about the present character of Satan since his fall is also in John 8:44, and that is that he's a liar and a deceiver. His constant pattern is to lie. Now, if you think you're receiving truth from Satan, remember what we've said so far in our series, and that is that he's a counterfeit. He'll always give you a little bit of the truth, but there's a lie always with it. He puts the two together. It all sounds good, and that's the bait. And then the lie comes in. Satan is a liar and a deceiver, and he is now programmed to continually lie. He can't do anything about it. So don't trust a thing that he says. The third thing we learn about the present character of Satan is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 John 3, verse 8, and that is that he's a confirmed sinner. A confirmed sinner. He has no ability to not sin. He must constantly sin. Verse 8 says, he that committeth sin, the idea is continual, present tense, habit of life, he who continually commits sin is of the devil. For the devil continually sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What is the devil leading people to do? He's leading them to sin. 2 Peter chapter 2, the entire chapter tells us that the result of this sin is invariably sexual immorality. This document that I was referring to earlier on the Church of Satan is most interesting to me. Combined with the rituals of Satanism are the most perverted forms of sex that you can possibly imagine. To some glee and some pride, the adherents of Satanism speak of the sexual perversion that is involved in their rituals. And it's amazing to me because in the Bible, the Bible predicts it. You fool around with a satanic world, and I'll tell you where it's going in terms of sin. Satan is a confirmed sinner, and he is going to lead people into immorality. The Bible teaches it. People are going to follow that way, according to the Bible, also, and be impressed with the teachers that Satan will have stand up and declare a new morality. If you're interested in that discussion, read about it in 2 Peter chapter 2. It tells you the whole story. Now, the second area I want us to look at tonight is the power of Satan. What sort of power does he have, according to the Bible? A few things for you to note. First of all, in regard to his location, I mean, where is he? Is he right here? Is he in uh, China? Is he in Russia? Is he Africa? Brazil? Where is he? Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? What does the Bible say? First of all, according to the Bible, he has access to God's presence. Right now, the devil can go directly to God. Job chapter 1, verse 7 teaches that as the devil was accusing Job in God's presence. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, we learn the same thing. As Joshua the high priest was standing before God, the Bible says that Satan was there to resist him. Satan has access into God's presence, 
and he is continually, according to the Bible, accusing believers there. And the blood of Christ is continually brought forth as evidence that we have been saved, that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. You know, there's no way that I could picture this for you, but could you just imagine it for a moment, just with the evidence we have from the Bible? In the presence of God the Father, there is a prosecuting attorney, and his name is Satan. And he is constantly accusing believers. He looks at the way you and I live, some sin we've committed, and he reminds God of that sin. And he's accusing us, he's slandering us. The Bible says he's doing it all the time. But also in the presence of God is a defense attorney, Jesus Christ, who's called that defense attorney in 1 John 2, 2, where it says he's the advocate. The Romans use that word for defense attorney. And he is there pleading our cause, constantly interceding for us and reminding the Father that the blood that he shed on Calvary paid for all sin. Aren't you glad of that? Man, I tell you, if there's anything that's precious to my heart, it's the knowledge that every sin I've ever committed or ever could commit was paid for by Christ's blood. No man and no being such as Satan can accuse a believer. Revelation tells us that believers have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. I hope you know what that is. I hope you're under the blood of Christ. Satan has no effect in accusation against a believer. But we have a high priest who's interceding in our behalf. Now, secondly, in terms of location, the Bible says he dwells in, quote, heavenly places, or the heavenlies, plural, the heavens. Ephesians 6, 11 to 12, and, of course, other passages that you've read. He dwells there. Now, what is it talking about? Well, it's talking about, obviously, several heavens, at least two or more, because it's plural. Now, there's the heaven that describes the immediate atmosphere. There's the heaven that describes space. There's also the heaven where God dwells. Now, don't limit Satan in location. The Bible teaches that any one of those places Satan could find himself and could be. Now, the question you might ask, well, is he omnipresent like God is? No, he is not. He's not able to be in more than one place at one time. You might say, well, I've been tempted by Satan. And another fellow in another state says, I was tempted by Satan at the same time. Well, you were, but only through the demonic beings that he uses, which we'll speak about later in our series as to his world of demons. But Satan cannot be everywhere at once as God can. The third thing I want you to know about Satan and his location is according to Job 1.7, Satan is walking to and fro in the earth now, the idea of that is that he's continually circulating. He moves around. What most commentators believe about that passage is that Satan, because he's controlling a vast network of demonic beings, is constantly, as it were, checking up on them, seeing how things are going. 1 Peter 5, 8 gives us the same impression as it says that he's a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He moves around in the earth. This is primarily the chief area of his domain, but he has access into the heavenlies and into the presence of God. Now, secondly, let's look at the matter of his position. What is the position of Satan in terms of his power? Two things I want you to know here. Number one, according to the Bible, Satan controls a vast demonic kingdom. Do not underestimate the power of Satan in terms of his position. He is 
controlling it. He's king. He's God. He's prince. The Bible says that. God with a small g. The God of this world. The God of this age. He is controlling this. Matthew 25, 41 tells us he's a prince of demons. Revelation 12, verse 7. Matthew 12, verse 24. On and on it goes. The Bible teaches that Satan is controlling directly a vast demonic kingdom. Now, secondly, as to his position, he's also controlling, listen carefully, he's controlling the world system of non-believers. He's controlling the world system of non-believers and everything that's a part of it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 tells us this. It says, and we know that we are of God, but the whole world is lying in wickedness, literally in, in the wicked one. He is controlling the entire world, the world system. The Bible calls him the authority in this world system. And he's to be reckoned with. Now, I'd like to emphasize to every believer here the importance of that. When you leave here tonight and you go to work tomorrow or to school tomorrow or in, down to the local shopping center tomorrow, I want you to know that everything that is in the world system, the Bible says Satan is directly controlling. Now, he always sugarcoats it. He puts it in bright lights, and it's always attractive. But Satan is controlling the world system. Its fashions, its ideas, its philosophies of life, the things it considers important, and the world is affected. You know, trends is an amazing thing, just the issue of trends. I was discussing that with an individual just this week of how quickly things change. They're changing, of course, more quickly than they ever have before. It's amazing how something can start in one part of the country, and before too long, it is widespread over the United States sometimes affecting the entire world. Trends, the way people think, how they act, how they dress, what they do. Satan is in charge of the entire world system of unbelievers. Now let's look at his ability for a moment, and I'd like to give you seven things that describe the ability of Satan. And I urge you to jot these down. Some people say things that the Bible doesn't say, and others just ignore what the Bible says. He has power. You can sit here and say, well, it'll never affect me. Oh, yes, it will. Satan will affect every single believer as well as every single non-believer. The Bible teaches that, and you'll hear more on that next week. Number one, in terms of ability, we'll give them to you quickly. He can use the forces of nature. Did you know that? He can use the forces of nature. Read about it in Job 1. Now, God permitted this, but Satan can use the forces of nature. There are a lot of evidences of some unusual things in terms of natural happenings that really are supernatural happenings that have been reported and have occurred. Well, remember, Satan can do that. Number two, he can use the body of an animal. He did so in Genesis 3.1. He can use the body of an animal and accomplish his purposes. He has tremendous ability. Third, the Bible teaches he can influence men to do things that the Bible describes as sin. He can influence men to do things that the Bible describes as sin. An example in Acts 5.3, here was Ananias and Sapphira, and Peter, when confronting Ananias with the fact that he had held back money that he said he had given, he said, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Spirit? 
Satan influenced him. You remember Peter. He gave the wrong advice to Christ, admonishing Christ to not go to the cross when he just told him he was going. And Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You see, Satan can influence men. Number four, the Bible teaches, listen carefully, he can inflict physical disease on people. Satan can inflict physical disease upon people. Just a few references. Luke 13, verse 11 and verse 16. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. I want to give you encouragement here. He will only do that under the permission of God. But he can inflict physical disease. Of course, the entire book of Job. God permitted Satan to afflict Job with physical disease. You say, well, what if he does it to me? Well, God is only allowing that if it happens in order to mature us and to build our ministry. Remember the case of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He said, I have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. But he learned to trust in the sufficiency of God and not in himself. And he said, I take glory, therefore, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Number five, according to the Bible, Satan can take possession of men. He can take possession of men. We talk about people who are demon-possessed. Now, they may be influenced by Satan. They may not be demon-possessed. But it is possible for people to be demon-possessed. There are many examples in the Bible, of course, in the days of Christ. Luke 22, verse 3 is a good one. He can take possession. He can enter into men and take possession, control their being. It's a frightening thought. But the Bible teaches that Satan clearly, by doing that, can appear to be something that he isn't. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 to 14, it says he can transform himself into like an angel of light and that he has ministers, people who are serving him, who can do the same thing. So we must be aware of this. He can take possession of men. Number six, here's one that might amaze you. He can inflict death upon men. Satan has the power to kill people. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, tells us that he has the power of death. Satan can inflict death upon men. And number seven, we'll develop this further next week, number seven, he can perform miraculous deeds. Don't you ever be fooled. Satan can perform miracles. And by the way, his miracles always appear to be God's miracles. They are counterfeit miracles, always with a motive to deceive. But he can perform anything that you read in the Bible that's miraculous. A lot of people don't understand that. He can perform those miracles. It appears in the book of Revelation he's going to perform the miracle of resurrection. In the case of the Antichrist, who really will appear to be Christ because of that miracle. He's going to cause images to speak, unusual miracles to happen, signs, wonders, and miracles. The Bible says Satan will be performing. He's fully capable of doing that. Don't underestimate it. You know, it's interesting, for a long time, missionaries would come back from foreign fields and talk about the miraculous things that they have seen in the world of Satan in various cultures. People used to sit in audience. I remember as a kid hearing those kind of stories and thinking, you know, oh, well, the missionaries have to make up something to, you know, make us all excited or turn us on or something. 
I, I really questioned it, even as I was a little kid listening to that. But isn't it funny how all of us now are experiencing it in supposedly rational, intellectual America? Satan's becoming more and more open with his miraculous deeds. Now, lest you leave scared to death, let's talk about his limitations. Is Satan limited? There are two things I want to leave with you in regard to the limitations of Satan. The Bible teaches, number one, that he is limited in power. He is limited in power. Now, in what sense? First of all, in the sense that he is under God's permissive hand. Satan is not allowed to exercise any power that God doesn't allow. That ought to cause you to do some serious thinking about what God allows him to do and why. And secondly, he's limited in power by the fact that men can resist him. Did you know that you and I as believers can resist the devil? We really can. Uh, many of you have heard or read that story of Martin Luther when he really felt pressured by Satan when he was going through such turmoil of soil, uh, soul. You know, he took that ink, uh, ink well that he was using to write and he threw it against the wall at Satan. He was sure he was in the room somewhere and he thought he could maybe hit him if he threw it. We can res resist the devil, though. The Bible teaches it. James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, The devil is a roaring lion, is walking about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. You can resist Satan, therefore his power is limited. He can't overpower the believer who's resisting him, resisting him in the faith, in the power of the word of God, just like Christ resisted Satan. Now, the second way in which he's limited, and I feel this is very important, is he's limited in terms of final destiny. Final destiny. John 12, 31 says, The prince of this world has already been judged. He was judged at the cross of Jesus Christ, and that was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In Genesis 3:15, at the time of the temptation, when God put the curse upon the serpent, he said that he would put enmity between thee and the woman, the woman that he deceived, between thy seed, meaning the children of the devil, and her seed, the child of the woman. He shall bruise thy head. When you crush the head of a serpent, you kill it. He, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, Christ, will crush your head. And at the same time, that text says in Genesis 3:15, thou, meaning the serpent, shall bruise his heel. Now, if you want to get bit by a snake, always throw him your heel. I understand it's the best spot to get bit. I mean, the least likely that it's going to be serious. So he gave a blow, you see, to the Messiah, but in the same time of that blow, Messiah crushed him. Now, when did that happen? That happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. Satan, I'm sure, shouted for joy. He got a victory. Oh, no, it was the very cross and the shed blood of Christ that crushed the enemy, destroyed him. And the Bible says Jesus said it himself. The prince of this world is already judged. Plus the fact in Revelation chapter 20, you can read that in spite of his worldwide deception that will soon take place, going on now, but come to a great fever, a great pitch, in the tribulation period, it says that Satan is going to be taken by God and he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. 
By the way, Satan is not the king of hell. Some people have him down there telling everybody to shovel coal or something, you know, in the furnaces. Satan would love you to think that. He is not the king of hell. God is the king of hell. The Bible says that he holds the keys of Hades and of death. Satan is the chief prisoner. Satan is already sentenced, and he's going to spend an eternity in the place God calls hell. Now listen, God doesn't want you to go to hell. He never intended any man to go there. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God actually designed that awful place of the lake of fire for the devil and his angels. Someone has said, putting it into somewhat of a trite statement, but really true, that if you go to hell, you're trespassing. And if you go to hell, you go there of your own volition and choice, and no man will say to God, you sent me here. Does God know you're going to go there if you reject him? Of course he does. He knows all things. But every being that God ever created, whether he be angel or man, has been created with the capacity to choose to respond to God or to refuse to respond to God. And we, friends, are our worst enemy because self has one desire, the same desire that was in the heart of Satan, to be God, to run the whole show, to run our own life, to operate independently of him, to not obey what he says, to not respond to him in faith. And God asks you to do one simple thing, and that's to believe that in yourself you can't save yourself, that you are corrupt the way the Bible says, that every act of yours, every deed of yours is like filthy rags in the sight of God. A man does not have the ability to do good. And God asks you to believe that and to believe the sufficiency of Christ, that when he died on the cross, he shed his blood for all your sin, whatever you've committed in the past, whatever you will in the future. And he asks you to believe that. And the moment you believe that, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says you are saved, saved to heaven, oh yes, but saved in the normal sense of that word from the judgment and the wrath that is to come. Let us close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word about the enemy. We thank you that he's a conquered enemy, and we already have the victory through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that you can deliver any person who's in the bondage of Satan. We know you've told us that all people are in two camps. They're either children of the devil or children of God. We, not, we may not be actively serving Satan. We may even think that we're religious and good, but you've told us in the Bible very clearly that unless we know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, unless we have by faith come to the cross of Christ and believe that he died for us, that he's a risen Savior who's coming again, we are still in the camp of the enemy who's blinding our minds to the truth of God's word. Father, I would pray right now that any person here who is not really sure of his relationship to God, oh, Father, show them that you love them, that Christ died for them, that there's no reason they have to face the judgment of God, that now they can be saved, by placing their faith in Christ. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.